and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who is very much a member of the Total Soccer Show A team, mm-hmm. not a member of the B team. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. No, I'm not on the Cooligans yet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if we, if we were going to have like reserves, uh-huh. it, would be, it would be Alexis and Christian. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think so. <laughs> Certainly Christian. Christian can be in there. Oh, that's, that, that's the, oh, you were saying Christian could be on there. You're yeah. saying Alexis might not make it. Yeah. 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 We'll that's see. It. We'll see. He'll be like, if somebody gets injured, we'll add him later on. He's yeah, like yeah. The, the Gold Cup roster scratch. <laughs> and yeah. if Alexis gets injured, we, we wouldn't know because he'd be in, <laughs> in the same running shape. <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots starting fired. Off, start off positive. Shots fired at both the concept of playing B teams, which yeah. will be a topic of today's Dota Cyber mm-hmm. Show. And the Cooligans, yeah. shots to you, as mm-hmm. they say. They don't say that. Do they? Um, but we have a big announcement to make we that do. involves the Cooligans. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already announced it. They beat us to it by a day. They're quick off the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, July 13th at Audi <laughs> Slash Field. they did it when they said they would. Yeah. <laughs> shouts to them. And maybe we're a little bit late. Uh, yeah. Shouts to them and shots to us. Uh-huh. Um, July 13th at Audi Field, which is where DC United play professional mm-hmm. soccer games. The Total Soccer Show... And the Cooligans, I think they're phrasing it as the Cooligans and the Total Soccer Show, mm-hmm. um, will be doing a combined live show. Somewhat similar to what we did last summer, um, except it's just a one-off event in DC. Um, tickets are, I believe, $20, and the link will be in the show notes. And I'm saying this sincerely, you should buy them fast because they'll probably sell out. I'm confident. I appreciate the confidence. I appreciate uh, transparency. We should add. I think there is like a, a slight booking fee. Oh, it's wanna, unavoidable. Right? I want to yeah. be upfront with that, just because we all hate that thing of like, oh, tickets are twenty dollars, but here's another fourteen dollars yeah. convenience fee. And it's not a fourteen dollars convenience no. fee. Is it like one fifty or something? something like that. So tickets yeah. are probably uh, yes. twenty one fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, almost the size of a U.S. men's national team roster. There we go. <laughs> did you enjoy my confidence that we would absolutely sell out? I did. I think it's because if it doesn't happen, I'll just buy all the tickets myself. Was that the plan? <laughs> to fulfill my promise, yeah. Just Uncle Moneybags over there. Uh, Uncle Moneybags. Uh-huh. That sounds like a terrible Disney movie that you should definitely invest in. I feel like it probably already exists. Yeah, take your life show money and invest in that movie. All right. <laughs> Well, we are doing everything we can to not talk about the USA's win over Panama, aren't we? Should we get there? I think we probably should. Shall we get there? Okay. <laughs> That's very telling. We are not ones to kind of like schmooze around in the introduction of the uh-huh. podcast, and yet here we are. Yeah. We could read our own night interviews. <laughs> Shots to you, my guys. Oh, Shots gosh. to you. Um, all right. So we are here to talk mm-hmm. USA versus I don't know this version of Daryl. It's, it's troubling. It's feisty, right? <laughs> Honestly, I haven't had a lot of sleep lately. I was up at 6 a.m. this morning. It's more so that when you start talking trash to the Cooligans, you like slowly become them you start throwing out shots and whatnot i don't even know what to make of that anyway yes sorry so we had a lot of responses on twitter about mm. like oh don't even bother talking about this yep. game if you don't want to mm-hmm. um, but we're gonna anyway we are we're gonna anyway mm. um the usa beat panama one nil in the final group stage game it means we finished top of our group that is a success but people were not happy with this game maybe including us in terms of Spectacle and excitement. It was not a fun night out. No, especially not. maybe not if you're in if you're in Kansas City, Kansas. I know where the stadium is mm-hmm. now. Uh, <laughs> it was not maybe the night out you're expecting when you first book tickets. But at you, least they were hot. But at least they were. <laughs> at least you had to sweat. <laughs> at least they're uncomfortable. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the, like I think f- starting off the fact that it's eleven changes doesn't yeah. really bring about that level of like. 
yay. <laughs> like, I can't wait to see all my favorites. Like, yeah. not the I mean, people I wanted to see, probably. Literally, you brought tickets for Pulisic yeah. and McKenney show, mm-hmm. and you got the Mihailovic and Roldan show. Which, unfo- it would be like buying Total Soccer tickets and you get yeah. the hooligans. Yeah. <sighs> Nobody wants that. Uh, but that is, like, a thing that happens a lot of times when it is, like, the third group stage game. If you've won the first two, yeah. you rest players, you rotate. It's not always the most exciting. I think... This was the England-Belgium at 2018 World Cup of the Gold Cup. Sure. Remember a reference, a reference that everyone will be all Well, exactly. Over. No one remembers that game because uh-huh. it was so, like, bleh. Or just e- teams. every one of those games, yeah. <laughs> but, like, but I think, like, because of the state of U.S. soccer, the state of the U.S. men's national team, it feels more like, oh, it's another thing where, like, they're not playing the best players and we don't know what we're doing and it's a whole big problem. Whereas, in reality, it feels like this is maybe a thing, even though Greg Berhalter said it wasn't something that he quite knew what he was going to do. It felt like maybe this was uh, had been a long time coming in terms of his planning. So this is a big picture thing that maybe we should get into this later after we do a bit of analysis of the game. Like, the thing of, is the U.S. soccer team... Um, a thing to entertain you on mm-hmm. a Wednesday night, like going to a movie and you expect it to be good? Or is it a long-term project where you give the coach time to see if he progresses and make his weird incremental changes and like think of the bigger picture mm-hmm. as opposed to being immediately entertained, yeah. right? Which I and think it, will and be- even in microcosm in the Gold Cup is like the project is to like keep people fit throughout the Gold Cup mm-hmm. versus entertain us in the third game versus Panama. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. And I think that like, that that I would agree with. I think, and we'll, we will get into this. Like, I think I'm kind of like on a different side than you are on this one about like which Ooh. which is their job. So it's gonna be like Total Soccer Show Civil War. It may be. Yeah. It may be. Not the actual Civil War. Very, I'm thinking a very of the polite Iron Man one. Movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's get to the game. Sure. Or maybe the hour before the game mm-hmm. where we saw that lineup. Right. So not the not the starting eleven that had started against Guyana and Trinidad. An actual entire lineup change. I'm going to say not what we predicted on our show. I mean, I, I will. I'll be honest and say, like, I thought. I think I said I won't be surprised if he changes all eleven. Yeah, but I also did. won't be surprised if he keeps all eleven. Yeah, which is indicative of my kind of feelings about the system right now. But sure. And I made the case that like to get the most out of this game, mm-hmm. like you rest the players that need resting, but you keep some of the components in place. Right. And so, for example, I would have gone Pulisic and Roldan instead of the entire attacking midfield change of Mihailovic mm-hmm. and Roldan. Yeah. So here's my argument that. Given that we actually went with a second choice 11, I mean, mm-hmm. literally everybody on the field was second choice because the first choice 11 is what we saw in the first two games. This kind of went okay in that we won 1 0. We saw the Greg Berhalter style of play. The players seemed to mostly understand what was going on. Um, not everybody played well. <laughs> I know what you mean, but that sounds like such a low bar. The players seemed to mostly understand what was going the, on. The second choice 11 understood the yeah. Greg Berhalter system but didn't implement it as effectively and efficiently as the first choice, yeah. 11, yeah. right? And even, like, if you want to get into specific examples, think of Christian Roldan receiving mm-hmm. the ball at the top of the box and playing a chipped cross, like, to uh, someone just beyond the far post. Mm-hmm. That's a ball McKenney hit two or three times right. in the last game. It's a ball we watched Roldan play um, out for a goal kick. Right. right? So that's yeah. an example of, like, everybody knew what they were doing, but, like, one player's technique was slightly below the first choice player's technique. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay, so, but that's roughly a positive to say that we did that, except... It was also Panama's B team. It was. So any like any argument about oh we can still do this with the mm-hmm. B team, only you can you only have evidence that yeah against the other B team. 
And yeah. sort of once Christian Pulisic comes on the field, because he does come on the field as yeah. the corner kick is being taken, basically. It's weird because he's not a massive... He, he's he's pre- in there. He's present yeah. for the goal. Yeah. He, may cause some, he may cause some panic between the centre-backs. That is actually what leads to this goal. <laughs> but he's not like... He actually didn't have a big impact on this game, right? No, I mean, and I think part of that is because we saw him used out wide. He comes in for Jonathan yeah. Lewis. He plays left wing, basically, yep. uh, for the, what, 25 or so mm-hmm. minutes that he's on the field. For the first time ever for yeah. about. I mean, if mm-hmm. anything, this the, that 25 minutes was evidence that maybe Berhalter's right to play him like left of centre attacking midway he can be more involved in play versus being stuck out on the wing where often your job is just spread the field right mm-hmm. sometimes you're literally a placeholder that's pulling out space for, for other people and maybe that's not the best use of Christian Pulisic I mean possibly but see this, yeah. this is like in I 25 think- minutes against Panama B Yes, but I guess that's that is sort of and like maybe we if you if we want to get like into a deeper issue or like deeper like uh, way of seeing this team like that is sort of what confuses me about Greg Berhalter and this team right now is like but then do we say like okay Christian Pulisic maybe doesn't look as good on the left wing he should be left of center because like he didn't do as much here or is it like well no we wanted to see this permutation so that we could see what else is happening around him yeah. like it's tough to know what we really take away from performances because it kind of feels like we can take everything away but that doesn't mean that any of it matters yeah I- i'd say we could take this as a data point mm-hmm. in the Pulisic left wing versus attacking mid uh argument mm-hmm. but it's a very 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 small data point and it's okay. de- you definitely shouldn't make any, any major decisions on this like Biscuit crumb of a data point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get to the goal, yeah. maybe one thing worth talking about is there were a couple of interesting, I would argue interesting, maybe semi interesting tactical shifts within this game mm-hmm. that the team and Greg Berhalter made that I would make the case were influential or at least helpful in winning this game. Okay. Is that- uh, yeah, we could probably start with the one that uh, Henry Bushnell spotted. Yes. We should give Henry credit. I, we half spotted this, but were confused by it. Mm-hmm. Henry Bushnell explains it really well in a Yahoo review of the game. Mm-hmm. So salute to Henry Bushnell. Yeah. Uh, the basic thing is, when the US started the game, so back four when we're defending, when we would attack, Reggie Cannon would go wide, go down the right wing, much like Nick Lima did in the last two games. But then Daniel Lovitz would shift across and we would have a back three, mm-hmm. right? And we would hold that back three. What Henry noted is that after about 20 minutes, apparently Bearhalter called this, like he called an audible. Mm-hmm. Um, he decided we need more width on the left. Let's get Lovitz to leave his centre-back role, go be an overlapping attacking left back, ide- almost identical to what Reggie Cannon's doing. Mm-hmm. And then to still maintain having three defenders back, we'll pull Will Trap back and have him sit between the two centre-backs. And the knock-on effect is that because the wide players are now Lovitz and Cannon, um, I was about to say Boyd, Jordan Morris, Mm -hmm. the right wing, can come infield and always be like a right-sided forward. And Jonathan Lewis, the left winger, can come inside and be a left-sided forward. Mm -hmm. And you did see that, right? You saw Lewis and Morris were often really close to Altidore um, after the first 20 minutes. So that's one tactical shift that happened during the game. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's my question, though. If it happened in the 20th minute... The United States doesn't really do that much else in the first half. What do you think was the problem then? What do you think they were trying to address with it? And what do you think maybe it either fixed or didn't fix? Like, what, Why make that change, do you, do you think? I think to get more support next to Josie Elton mm-hmm. so that he's not alone against the Panamanian centre-backs. Maybe because Machado was kind of beating him up, mm-hmm. right? He was almost getting the Alex Morgan versus um, Spain treatment. And the ref, I think, was not... He was essentially letting a lot of fouls go. And because Panama were the more aggressive team in terms of their style of defending, that was not helping the United States. I'm not saying that's the only reason. That's maybe one reason that Altidore was getting a bit sort of isolated on his own. So you get, instead of Morris um, and Lewis providing the width, you have the fullbacks provide the width and they can come inside and join Altidore and hopefully combine a little bit. And you did see, 
a couple of half chances created by that, but obviously there's no goals to speak of, so mm. we don't have like this hard evidence. Um, we don't even have the crumb data point, Mm-mm. or maybe a very tiny crumb of saying this worked, mm-hmm. but it at least was. Uh, so I'm not arguing that like we made this tactical shift and it worked, and therefore we should all celebrate it. I'm basically arguing it's interesting to watch Bell to make tactical shift 20 minutes into a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose. Uh, I think maybe it's also that like Josie Altador up top by himself a lot of, on a lot of the occasions because Georgi Mihailovic was then dropping in a bit yeah. more. So maybe then you have the kind of wingers come inside. Now he's got someone to lay the ball off to. Yeah. And that helps with combinations. Yeah. So you see that, but then it doesn't necessarily lead to goals. So then do we see more tactical innovation from Greg Berhalter? Well, I would argue that the only tactical shift mm-hmm. later in the game is after we score. Yeah. I think, essentially, you spotted this in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Christian Roldan shifts from when we attack to being the right attacking centre mid to either being told, I think being told, to don't join the attack, don't join the counter-attack, sit next to Will Trapp. So mm-hmm. essentially, for once we have a 1-0 lead, we have two defensive midfielders, which essentially means we won't get hit on the counter by Panama when we, tr- when we try and counter them. Is right? it weird at all, like, genuine question, is it weird at all, though, that we continue to send the fullbacks forward at that point? I would argue, I, I, I will bet Lovitz starts to come back a bit more after that. And you've at least got like two defensive midfielders and uh, you've got then a left back and two centre backs. So you've got enough cover mm-hmm. essentially to, okay. to make things happen, right? right? Yeah. I also think a weird tactical shift is, do you think after we scored, we went a bit more direct? Yes. Yeah, 100%. there was less of the slow build up mm-hmm. and more of the... I guess maybe it's because Boyd and Pulisic are on. It's like I think, I, I, think, I think it's just because at that point you're up one nil. The idea theoretically would be that Panama then have to be more aggressive and try to get an equalizing goal. Yeah. So then you can sit back. They commit numbers forward. They don't have as many back. You can hit them on the break with yes. your two pacier, more like uh, creative goal scoring inclined players. And I guess this is another way that I look at this game is it never actually happened that mm-hmm. we successfully implemented that. But to me, it's interesting that Behelter did this 1-0 up against Panama. And my guess is that it's A, to make sure we win this game. But it's B, like, this might be a look that we see from the US if we're 1-0 up against a really good team and we're trying to defend that lead. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So this may be just a thing to keep an eye on in the future. Do we suddenly shift to an attacking 4-2-3-1 where it's an extra defensive midfielder and we're not so concerned about slow builder that, you know, if we're trying to see a game out against a better team? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who is a better team? Jamaica? At least. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would say Jamaica in terms of the teams we might meet in the next yeah. round or in the semifinal. Yeah, yeah. so it's Curaçao in the quarters, mm-hmm. hopefully Jamaica in the semis, right? Yeah, Jamaica or Panama. Jamaica uh, or Panama. How that goes, yep. Panama, we assume would send their A team to the semis. Seems like yeah. yeah. Are you ready to talk about the goal now? Sure. Yeah, okay. So it's a Josie Altador, I'm going to say not bicycle kick. I am going to fight the narrative that this <laughs> is a bicycle kick because a bicycle kick you have to be literally heels overhead um, and doing a sort of full rotation with your feet. Right. I would argue this is, at best, a jumping side volley. <laughs> jumping side volley is the phrase I'm going with. This is definitely the important thing to focus on. This is the hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> Wonderful. Should we talk about how the corner actually happened? If we must. I, w- I would prefer to have a talking head style crossfire debate where we just yell at each other about whether this is a bicycle kick or not. I, I know better than to do that because you are strangely particular about your bicycle kicks versus overhead <laughs> kicks versus flying side volleys yeah. and all of the various like categories in between. If we don't have pedantic terminology, what do we have? <laughs> Everyone smiling? Yes, basically. <laughs> yeah, so this is from a corner kick. Mm-hmm. It is kind of interesting how we win this corner kick. Yeah, so it's uh, Matt Miazga uh, f- being able to find Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris has come central, as we've talked about. Yeah. Reggie Cannon overlapping, as we talked about. So then Jordan Morris, outside of the foot, of course, lays it off to Reggie Cannon. <laughs> uh, his cross blocked out, and now we have a corner. Uh, okay, quick question. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about Jordan Morris using the outside of his foot here? 
I mean, it gets to Reggie Cannon, so we can't complain about it. I mean, it feels it. a little bit like a thing that's always going to happen, so continuing yeah. to be annoyed about it is fairly pointless. Should we, should we just let him do it and be happy about it? Yes, yeah. but it is still a thing that it will occasionally frustrate me, I guess. I've just recorded in the build-up as well. Isn't there a moment of Jordan Morris acceleration mm-hmm. where after he receives... It's good for him to come yeah, central show from yeah. guy. He does like, not drop the shoulder or do any feints, but he just does that Jordan Morris... Hey guys, look, I'm fast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you how fast I am and go past you before he, he gets the ball out to Cannon. Mm-hmm. Am I getting very pro Jordan Morris here? I mean, if if this one sequence is going to be enough to make you pro, <laughs> pro Jordan Morris, that began with you, I believe, criticizing his outside of the foot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we, <laughs> maybe some progress. All right, but we do have the corner kick. We do. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Christian Pulisic is mm-hmm. subbed on at this point and makes the whole difference on this corner kick. Yes. Because he's his, in there? Yeah. By his mere presence? Yeah, it's, uh, Mihailovic takes it, drives it to the back post. Yeah. Matt Miazga there, heads it back across, and then there's some solid defending from Panama. Oh, so it's Galvan mm-hmm. and Escobar, uh, two defenders, who both go for the same ball. Yeah. If I'm going to blame one of them, I'm going to blame Galvan, because Escobar had the position to head it clear. Galvan's backtracking and like basically... Mm-hmm gets a weak header to it to the extent that he heads it onto Escobar's head. Yeah. <laughs> it bounces off of Escobar's head and then falls to the mostly unmarked Josie Altidore. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think you could go either way because maybe one should have called the other off regardless of who yeah. actually makes a play on it. But either way, it's not great from Panama. Uh-huh. It ends up being pretty great for Josie Altidore who is able to pull off a picture-perfect bicycle to uh, get the goal. very dare you. <laughs> uh, okay, regardless of uh, bicycle yeah. kick uh, pedantry, and by our, I mean my pedantry, mm. um, are we impressed by this Altidore finish? I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, okay. he, he pulls it off. He's able to get the ball in the net, which I think is which is important. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Ed, to your I point, I don't disagree. I mean, but I mean, I guess no, not really. Is I guess my answer because it's like he's he's there. He does what he needs to do. It's yeah. what I expect him to do. I think I'm, maybe I'm more impressed with that he does what he needs to do because uh-huh. I think it's at a weird angle where it's like kind of behind him, and there's only so many ways you can approach this. And I think he chooses the right thing in the like the. "Quote unquote bicycle." Kick I mean, it goes in the goal. Flying so yeah. side volley. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does go in the goal. Well yeah. done, Josie Altidore. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be like a, like downer here. It's just sort of like because I think it seemed like it was going to be a design play. Like Mihailovic does, like the double hands in the air. Yeah. he gets an acknowledgement from Matt Miazga. It felt like it was sort of a a design set piece. So then, like, it's good that it ends up with Josie Altidore finding a way to score. But yeah. it's also the case that it happens because Panama's defenders fail to make a very basic defensive play. So again, as we mentioned at the top, we're like, mm-hmm. okay, we can't take too much from this because it's Panama's mm-hmm. B team. Is this like their defending was so bad that maybe we shouldn't give too many players too much credit for yeah, them? I mean, I mean, you give credit <laughs> to Josie Altidore, obviously Fox did, since yeah. their new narrative is will he catch Landon Donovan and uh, Clint Dempsey. Did they start that one early? They started that like a couple games ago. As yeah. soon as he almost made his return, we were back in on that one. And he's what, 10, 15 goals away? More like, than that, maybe? It's a long way to go. He's got it? a ways to go, oh. yes. Yes. But it was good to see him score. You could see how much it meant to him. It is important mm-hmm. in terms of the Josie Altidore, how he feels about himself and mm-hmm. how, how fit he is, I guess. Yeah. He was fit enough to jump off the floor. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I would like to give credit to Georgie Mihailovic because okay. I actually think this is a, a well-taken corner kick in that it Matt Miazga has to backtrack a little bit, but it's like perfectly driven to the back post. All right, here's my honest question, though. Yeah. Is like I feel like we are trying to find specific moments. Like... I, I genuinely feel like in most shows we wouldn't stop and be like, but it's a well-taken corner. Like, we would just be like, yeah, the corner's taken. And I feel like that's representative to me or indicative to me of this game that we're pausing to be like, but it's a really good corner from Georgie yeah. Mihailovic. Like, Maybe it's because Georgie Mihailovic, the last time we saw yeah. him, it was such a disaster against Jamaica that I'm looking for any signs that he's actually a good footballer. And I, th- and I think for me, <laughs> because 
I I did not think he looked very good in that last game. Yeah, I have a bit more like, yeah, that was fine. Let's see what he keeps doing. So yeah, I think yeah. I'm I'm maybe just a little bit more muted about some of this because I'm less like, yeah, that was a good corner. That's fair. Can can he turn and play a ball under pressure? Let's see if he does that more often. How about did that? He today, I think there was, there was the one dribble mm-hmm. he had, but there were still a couple of times where he yeah. sort of basically lost possession. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, like it was. I think it was a better performance from him. He he showed signs of what he can bring into the equation. Yeah, I will be less concerned if we see George. George Mihailovic against Panama's B team in the future. Yeah. Uh, strangely, I'll be more concerned about Christian Roldan because he was one that we kind of already had some question marks about. Yeah. I have more question marks about him after this game. If you don't mind, before we get to those question sure. marks, mm-hmm. do you mind if we talk about today's sponsor? Let's do it. It's a sponsor that our listeners will be aware of mm-hmm. from our Women's World Cup shows. It's fbref.com, the football reference re- website, fbref.com. That's right. Uh, we've been using it to talk about Winter World Cup, uh, but you can get it from many, many other competitions. I yeah. was looking uh, at Major League Soccer. Uh, okay. Because we are, MLS stats. Yeah, once once we get done with Gold Cup and all the other major, many, many, many competitions, we'll yeah. maybe turn our attention to Major yeah. League Soccer a bit more. So I was looking... <laughs> when, when all the players are back exactly. in Major League Soccer. <laughs> I was looking at um, number of players and minutes played for like different countries within Major League Soccer. Obviously, Ooh. the United States has the most players, 228, and the most minutes, 144,700. 18. Wow. Can those you, are all Paxton Pomico. Uh Yes, all of them. <laughs> Can you guess the country that has the second most minutes oh, played? Not number of players. Argentina. It is Argentina. Yes. There you go. You got it right, my friend. I yeah. said Taylor as if you'd asked me a really tough question. Uh-huh. And I remembered our conversation a few months ago about how many Argentinos there are in yeah. uh, MLS. Slightly telling that uh, it's Argentina with the second most minutes of any country, uh, not the second most number of players. That would be Canada with 31. Canada only have uh, 15,000 minutes or thereabouts this season. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got some stats for you. So get it together, I, Canada. Uh, when I decided to look at some men's soccer um, after being so deep in the Women's World Cup, mm-hmm. I went back to the Champions League, yep. right? I was thinking about like quizzing you on who was the Champions League top scorer last year, but I went a little uh, uh, off track and I found the teams that scored the most goals in the Champions League mm-hmm. last year. Liverpool did not score the most goals despite being the team that won the trophy. Maybe they should take the trophy back off them? <laughs> not really. Um, which team do you think scored the most goals in the Champions League last year? I'll, and I'll give you one clue. Liverpool are third. There are two teams ahead of them. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to think of teams that like got blowouts in the group stage. Yeah. So I'm going to guess Man City is probably in there? Man City are top. They scored 30 goals in the Champions League last season. All right. Is there a surprising one second? Not really. Barcelona? It's Barcelona okay, yeah. with 25 goals. Then yeah. Liverpool with 24. Um, Spurs finalists all the way down in one, two, three, four. I joint, would not have put them anywhere near the top. Joint fifth with Porto okay. with 20 goals. Uh, mm-hmm. one, extra, one extra question about this. Um, the teams that scored the least goals, uh-huh. they were joint bottom with two entire goals in the entire Champions League. That's six group stage games, mm-hmm. right? Two goals. Could you guess who had that poor... Of a t- I mean, it's a tough question because they're not literally not memorable teams because they finished bottom of the group and you don't think... Are they them. from a, a big league, a moderately big league, or a small league? One of them's from a almost big league. It's, uh-huh. like, it's one of those leagues that's questionable. Is it the big four or is it the big five okay. league? I think I just gave away the league. One of them's from a, a moderately big league. Is one of them Turkish? No. Okay. You weren't far off geographically, though. Greece? Yes. Okay. Is it, was it, I can now I can't remember who was in there. Is team, it right? Olympiakos was in? It's Ake Athens. Oh, okay. All Scored right. Scored two. All right. I have no idea who the other one is. 
it's a French team. Right. Maybe that. Which French team had an absolute no oh, Monaco. Last season, despite being of course, the Champions League? of course, yes. of course, of course. Monaco scored only two goals mm-hmm. in the entire group stage. I, I completely forgot Monaco even like existed as a Champions League entity. <laughs> I mean, it was over fast. Yes, I think I would guess it was over before the sixth game if they only scored two goals. Total. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so those stats were found very easily by us mm-hmm. at fbref.com. Not just Women's World Cup stats, or they do have endless Women's World Cup stats. All kinds of other soccer stats as well. Where were Bayern Munich on that list? Were they in there? They didn't make it onto my piece of paper where I wrote down the top six. <laughs> does that help? It does. Thank I you do very much. I do think from memory, I think they scored 15 goals. Okay. I'd be willing to back myself on that. Do you that. mean from memory that you just know that or from memory from reading the FB ref stats? Oh, from memory from looking at the table oh, earlier. Okay. But I was like, all right, Daryl. You don't even there. need FB ref. But if <laughs> listeners do, remember it's fbref.com for all of your many soccer slash football uh, statistical needs. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're not the double pivot podcast. Nah. <laughs> okay. We were just talking about your question marks mm-hmm. about... Question Roldan. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe his nickname now because it was he was sort of a player that I think underwhelmed in some of the times we've seen him for the national team very recently. Yeah. Uh, and then I think very much underwhelmed uh, this evening. But am, am I wrong? Do you sec- disagree? I absolutely agree. Okay. And I think it's for the second game in a row. Yeah. And, and I think this is where... Like, to your earlier point, this is one of those moments where I kind of struggled with Burhalter a little bit because it feels like the U.S. in a lot of ways did what he wanted. We saw some of the patterns. Uh, we saw some adjustments, and it did feel like, to your point, the players knew what was roughly expected of them yeah. when those changes happened. In terms of the passing and the style of play and all that? But then there were things that, I think, prevented it from succeeding completely. One of those was, I think, to some extent, the quality of the player. And I think yeah. you could see, for example, the one that like I really had question marks about was in the 54th minute when Roldan has the ball at the top of the box. He's about 20 yards out and he goes for a chip to the back post and he just hits it maybe 10 yards out oh, of bounds. This is the one I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? That we literally saw Weston McKinney, McKinney. Yeah. I can't believe I just did that. In the same spot, deliver that ball two mm-hmm. or three times yeah. and we saw Chris, question Roldan over hit it. I won't keep yeah. doing that because it feels like bullying. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he's not listening, so it's not that big of an issue. But like, I think that was my moment where if we are going to have Christian Roldan continue to play, like, can you continue to play that type of soccer? Do you have to adjust the attack a little bit because maybe he can't play some of those balls? Or if you're Greg Berhalter, do you keep kind of persisting, hoping that it clicks and he maybe with a bit more experience is able to pull it off? I think you just cross your fingers that Weston McKenney is fit. Yeah, right? or that. I mean, I don't know if you want to get to this bigger conversation there, but I think there's a conversation to be had about why Christian Roldan is part of the team mm-hmm. and probably will continue to be part of the team despite what are some obviously uh, quite poor performances and actually before we get into that the other element of this is uh, apart from the misplaced passes and maybe taking too many touches to receive the ball mm-hmm. we saw Christian Roldan in this game lose a lot yep. of physical battles that I think were winnable and and I agree and I would clarify even furthermore that like it wasn't just like 50-50 it's a tussle and they're going like body to body he had those then I think he lost them but it was also receiving the ball with his like like with the US under pressure receiving his ball with back to goal and having a defender like get to him pretty aggressively and it felt like that became a thing he was focused on and then he would take a heavy touch and then lose the resulting challenge as yeah. well so it wasn't just like him battling in a way that maybe he wasn't quite as familiar with it felt like even when coming under kind of pressure in the midfield which is a thing that I kind of expect him to be able to deal with yeah. he seemed a little to struggle a little bit there I mean it's the thing that happens in midfield right mm-hmm. is you come under pressure yeah. one moment I really want to spotlight is I think I said something kind of arrogant in the studio but I'm weirdly going to repeat it and stand by it there's a moment that it's it's in the US's half near the center circle mm-hmm. and he has the ball loses the ball to a tackle which you know fine that can happen right half wins it back by stepping across and then still then yep. proceeds to lose the physical battle and I can't remember the Panamanian player I didn't note the player's name 
but then that player takes the ball and goes away with it. Yeah. And I, I think I remember saying to you, even if that's us, I'm not saying I would have won that physical battle against a Panamanian player, but if that's me in one of our amateur games, or that's you, or that's any player that we know is good, if you like half win it back and then someone starts to take it away from you, at the very least, you're going to maybe just take that player out mm-hmm. or foul them or just make sure that you do not lose this confrontation, right? Yeah. And I think what I'm getting at is maybe there's a, a lack of nastiness in Christian Roldan's character or playing style that doesn't give him that like bite that cutting cutting edge that is like i am not losing this ball like it's Mm. maybe 30 percent lost but i'm gonna like step across you hard and knock you over don't care if it's a free kick i am not losing this ball Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean that that could well be but i still then get confused because obviously this is a player who matters to seattle matters to the seattle sounders fans is a very important player for them to the extent that he gets called into the national team regularly yeah and i guess i just wonder like what the difference is because there's no way he's going back to Seattle and losing physical challenges and not completing simple passes and they continue to value him the way they do so there has to be some disconnect between club team and national team and maybe it just is higher quality of player around him higher quality of opponent maybe he's not quite at that level I don't know if it's that simple but I guess that's where I wouldn't mind hearing from Seattle fans about what they think might be the uh, issue yeah Yeah, like Mm -hmm. the specific things I would like to hear as well not just he's great for us I'd like to know like when you watch Rodan play Mm -hmm. is his role different for Seattle does he uh, do something different is it like the too many touches we see when he receives the ball Mm. is that not a thing that happens when he plays for the Sounders I mean I've seen the highlights I've seen the long range goals and all that sort of stuff but I think I'm more interested in the day-to-day specifics of what Christian Roldan does. No, yeah. So w- we'll see what happens there. We'll see what we hear yeah. about that one. What about Josie Altador, to go back to him, though? Ooh, so okay. scores the goal uh, with an acrobatic finish, we'll put it that way. Uh, obviously, again, Menelatum celebrates very emphatically. Did fight, did do a lot of hold-up play. Yeah. Did not look as mobile as, as maybe Jossie Zardes did. Jossie Zardes comes in, looked somewhat mobile, but yeah. still looked like Jossie Zardes. Uh, so I'm wondering, what did you think of Josie Altador's performance? Um, I think it wasn't stellar, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, Altador's back. He's going to fire us to Gold Cup glory. It was enough for me to think he's um, fit enough that if he starts the quarterfinal, I'm not massively worried. Like I was really with that mind, I was really surprised to hear Stu Holden say that even with this performance that Jesse's artist is still the starter for the US. That seemed like a a bold statement that he kind of said with relative ease. I'd go as far as saying that that's incorrect. I you honestly think? think like I've literally heard Greg Behelter say Josie Altador is the number one American striker. So yeah. to me, as soon as Josie Altador is fit enough to play, that means in Greg Behelter's mind, and I would argue in my mind as mm-hmm. well I'd have to argue about what's in my mind, I guess. Uh, Altador is the starting striker. So yeah. there's not a pecking order where Zardes is top and Altador has to prove he's the better footballer. Mm-hmm. The only thing he has to prove is that he's fit enough. And maybe that's what Holden meant, but he just didn't get all the nuance out. See, I, I, I may be misquoting, but as I recall, I think that statement ended with him saying, like, maybe if he'd come in and scored a hat trick and looked unplayable, then maybe that order changes. But right now, I think it's Zardes. Yeah, so I don't know if maybe that the implication there was fitness. He or, might know something we don't. Yeah, he, he could well. He often does. Yeah, I mean, and I thought, like, the other element of his game the finish for the actual goal mm-hmm. was great the unicycle finish um, the the holder play I think was mostly good because he took a lot of hits from Machado Ma- mm-hmm. Ma- 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 um, complained a little bit but mostly took the hit and 
either won a free kick or should have won a free kick with yeah. a different referee. Mm-hmm. Fair to say? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not alone. Georgi Mihailovic has the one where he drives. I, the player does not get ball at all. No fouls even given. That yeah. was definitely a foul, definitely a yellow card for me. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so I think a, lo- a, lot of, a lot of hits taken in this game. Yeah. But yeah, Josie Althor did well to ride most of them. And he did mostly absorb the ball yeah. and lay it off, not in a spectacular mm-hmm. fashion. The thing I didn't see that I want to see and hope to see one day from Josie Altador in a U.S. team is when he's got... We talked about Lewis and Morris coming mm-hmm. inside and running beyond him quite often, right? I am excited for the day where uh, Altador is connecting... Like, if he's back to goal or front to goal, just connecting a pass that moves the ball on and puts Lewis or Morris in on goal. Mm-hmm. I think I saw, like, three or four attempts where... They tried to make that happen, but Altador's pass was blocked by by a defender. Like he would try like one of those nice little backheel flicks or reverse flicks, but it would get uh, so not intercepted but deflected by a defender. Mm-hmm. So it didn't come off. Uh, so you can see maybe there's still a bit of sharpness that's not quite there. Do, do you find it difficult to really like have a verdict on some of these players because it was Panama in the conditions that it was in? That yeah, it sort absolutely. of is like, yeah, but I, I feel like with all of these, it's not great podcast, or I would say radio, but I guess it's not great podcast to say like, so I guess we'll see you in the next game. But that's kind of how <laughs> I feel is like I have – I think Christian Valdana is the only one that I feel like really strongly did not have a good game. Yeah. Everybody else I could sort of be like, yeah, yeah, you know, there were some moments, but then there were some negatives. We'll see what happens. Yeah. What about Omar Gonzalez? About that. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think it was it was a frustrating performance a little bit for me with Omar because similar to like what I've wanted with Paul Ariola or with Nick Lima, like I wanted a, to see him and be like, yeah, okay, he's a capable backup. And it was still some of the same old issues of a few moments where it seemed like he didn't take the right position or take the right approach angle. There's one on the first half where he, I think, misplays a long ball. He, like, doesn't win the header. Then he kind of gets yes. beat with his positioning. And then more worrying is that it's... Fajardo, I think, got in behind. Yeah. And actually got a shot away because yeah. he held off Gonzalez. Because Gonzalez basically didn't, I felt like, didn't want to overcommit and risk getting beat. Yeah. So instead he kind of did the, like... I'm going to shepherd you one way, and if you get a shot off, you get a shot off. Yeah. But you didn't beat me to get the shot off. And again, it it worked in that Fajardo was at a sh- his shot was mm-hmm. at an angle that didn't even manage to be on frame. But a better player puts that on frame. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Solomon Rondon puts yes. that on frame. Yes. So I, I mean, I I think with this evening's performances from both uh, Miazga and Omar, I'll say that I am okay with seeing Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman come back into the starting uh, centre-back roles. Absolutely. I think Miazga could make an argument for like mm-hmm. he's almost getting in there. Yeah. I, I think, the for me, the I, I'm more, I was more sympathetic to Omar the last couple of games because I saw some passing from him that mm-hmm. was better than I expected. But I now think of him as firmly the fourth choice um, of those four centre-backs, despite being the most senior, which mm-hmm. is, you know, fine. Maybe just play a role within the squad. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then maybe this is like the larger, like a larger conversation. But like, do we have sympathy for them because theoretically they would have been practicing to play the way that the U.S. has been playing, where the left back slides in and you've got three center backs there, and that's how they work. And then suddenly it's Will Trap stepping in between them, and now they're spreading wide. Do we have sympathy for like that rotation maybe changing what they'd practiced, or do you think it doesn't matter? They should just be able to perform regardless of those little uh, adjustments. I would lean more towards the latter mm-hmm. because maybe this gets us into a bigger topic. But I think this whole Bellhalter era is about little adjustments okay. that you have to be willing to adapt to. How so? Um, okay, do you want to get do you want to get into sure. this? Because this is a conversation that Taylor and I sort of had off air, mm-hmm. where we talk some things out about how we feel about Greg Berhalter. Right. And you suggested that like this is a thing that you think I've been saying without saying. Yeah, or I think like I think you think maybe it is the like common opinion, and so you're sort of like, yeah, yeah. No, I don't understand why everybody's sort of frustrated because it came from we were talking about like 
Daryl was sort of like, okay, one no win, it's great. And I was like, you know that like the majority of people do not feel that way. And it kind of went from right. there about why maybe you're a bit more positive about this team yeah. than some, myself included, might be. Okay, so big picture. Mm-hmm. The reason I feel more positive in general about this Greg Behalter era is that he has very clearly said, this is a long-term project and we're going to implement this style of play, right? Mm. And the style of play, he's made very clear what it is. It's his philosophy is what he calls positional play. You can go on the internet and read a ton of articles about positional play and what that means. What it means is having possession of the ball and then players moving around and like dragging opposition players out of position, finding ways to create space and then exploit that space, Mm -hmm. right? And my feeling is... This is a thing we've never really seen a U.S. men's national team do. This is a thing that elite teams do. Like the Netherlands would try to do this because it's a very Dutch style of play. Behelter spent a lot of time in the Netherlands. Like you, you do this often with really high-end players because they're used to this kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Manchester City do this. Mm-hmm. Can I interject real, real fast? Because yeah. this was a clarifying moment for me. Like, I, forgive me if this sounds like an obvious question because it wasn't for me, but like, what would be an example of a different style? Like, what has the United States done in the past that is different from this? Think of, say, the, the Bob Bradley era, yeah. which I actually enjoyed because at least there was a style of play that we mm-hmm. that we implemented. But the style of play was we have two defensive midfielders. We have, especially the 2009 era, that, which was really successful, we have Altidore and a fast striker in Charlie Davies mm-hmm. up top. And we have two attacking wingers who are allowed to like be heavily involved in the counter-attack, and they are Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey, right? right. So then it's defend for your life with like Jay Demerit and another centre-back, probably Negra. So defend for your life. And then when we break... We go, we break, and you've got attacking weapons of uh, Altador, Davies, Dempsey, Donovan, and we send those at you, yeah. right, on the counter-attack. So that's the thing where you're not, like, slowly, carefully opening a hole and then hope, and then having someone run through it to score. You're saying, we're going to draw you in and defend, and then we're going to run at you. Like, yeah. Run and gun is the sort of borderline pejorative way of describing it. But that's a very different style of play. Yeah, it, yeah. it absolutely is. And I think this is where I, I am trying to see it from your perspective, not because it makes life easier or like things more rosy, but because I think what we've heard in response to the U.S.'s kind of defend, bunker, counterattack approach that they have utilized, you're absolutely right, is but we want to see proactive, progressive soccer with possession yeah. and we're dominating teams. And that's what Klinsman came in and promised and we all got very excited and that didn't quite happen. Is that and, part of it? I, sorry, I, I yeah, sure no, I think, I think that's probably, yeah, I think it, part of it is that maybe it felt like a little bit of a burn before. But yes, because he promised it, but yeah. they never actually did things to implement yeah. it. And he kind of talked about progress and like a proactive mm-hmm. approach, but didn't really do it. And so I feel like now we're less likely to trust Greg Berhalter when he says that he's doing these things. But I think I see very solid evidence that he's doing these things. So I trust Greg. I don't trust Jürgen. That, that's fair. But I, I, I do think it goes back to the state of U.S. soccer right now that people, because it took so long to, for Berhalter to be appointed, because of the World Cup, because even of who Berhalter is, and that's and even who his more. Brother is. Exactly. I think all of that comes into the equation because it sort of is like, yeah, we've heard about attacking, possessing soccer since you're in Klinsman. It hasn't really happened, and now you're coming in and saying it. And where my frustration is, or just more so my sort of consternation, is I don't know, like, when if it's not working, but then there's this argument of, like, well, it actually is working because there is some of that play, and we're seeing moments of it here and there, and it does then end up kind of helping us down the road. I have a hard time knowing, like, yeah, but is that the case, or is that just sort of chaos, but then it looks like it's okay, so then we're like, well, yeah, it worked in this game, so we're going to use it again down the road. Yeah, I mean, so maybe it's optimistic of me, but, like, in this game, there's a moment that we talked about where I saw Jordan Morris in that, like, right-center-forward role um, drift to the right to, like, join Reggie Cannon, 
take a defender with him because he had a man marker. And as soon as that space was opened up, Christian Roldan ran mm-hmm. into it and then received the ball. I can't remember who played him in the pass. Maybe Cannon played him in the yeah. pass. And then uh, uh, Roldan was in behind and he cut the ball. It was, it was Roldan's best moment mm-hmm. of the game. He cuts the ball back to Josie Altador. Altador maybe could have scored. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was oh, an yeah. example of, even in a not very exciting game, I'm not arguing this was an exciting game to watch, but I am arguing that we saw one of the principles of play that Greg Berhalter talks about implemented in that moment and it created a chance for the US. Mm-hmm. And my maybe more optimistic feeling is I think it's a really hard thing to get a team like the US to do because they're not an elite team and any element I see of the US doing it says to me that we're kind of getting there or at least there's enough happening there that makes me believe that we might be able to actually do this fully in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So I and that's an exciting future if that future comes. Right? Exactly. Yeah, which is a big if, I would say. But it does yeah, yeah. seem like a more attainable if and that is sort of where I am with it is that my idea of how you do this, I'm not saying this is correct, I'm just saying like my kind of like background on this is that you kind of establish here's the kind of shape we're going to use to establish possession or positional play right like yeah. where it's like you like so we're going to be in this shape but then this person goes here this person can go here but and that shape you mean like here. a four four two or yeah. four two three one or something exactly like that. Yeah. and that's kind of what i think of is like you know you see the photos of like man city using the grid and it's about like okay if the ball's here then this player's in this grid and this player's in this grid if the ball goes there this player goes there but in my mind it all comes from a like like this is our foundational formation and yeah. then we're going to I'm not saying that's actually how it is but that's how it makes sense okay, in yeah. my head and so to me I think that's where Ber- the US under Burhalter has been confusing because because we're changing shape sometimes. And yeah. Nick sometimes goes to midfield and exactly. Nick sometimes is an overlapping right winger. And I think what, what it took me – what it took this conversation off air and a little bit of the conversation on air to get to is that like it's not necessarily that. It's more about starting to get the players into the mindset of you move, you take that space, then yeah. you move and you take that space. And it's about sort of seeing those moments as opposed to the kind of – like the rote memorization of yes. you go into this square when this person's in this square. Yes, and I think it starts with the rote mm-hmm. memorization, but then hopefully once you've got a bit of the rote down of certain moves, then you can improvise within it and express yourself, and that's when the real creativity comes about, yeah. right? Because the thing, um, I don't know if I disagree with you on this or if this is just like uh, an extra nuance to the point. When you say that, like, I would, like, I'm not saying you said this, but like, say if you said, I think we should have just started with a classic four two three one, and that's mm-hmm. our shape, and then everybody knows where they're supposed to be, and then we can build from there. Yeah. I would argue that we are doing that, but not with it's a 4-2-3-1. We're doing it with things like we always have one person very wide left on the touchline. We always have one person very wide right on the touchline. And that's like one of the fundamentals of our starting position, right? And sometimes those people wide on the touchline are our wingers. Mm-hmm. Like it could be Boyd and Lewis to start with. Later in the game, after that Henry Bushnell uh, switch that we talked about, the people who are wide are the fullbacks instead of the wingers. Yeah. It's Lovitz and Cannon. It's the same... Uh, philosophy or shape knowing that you've always got two guys pulled wide right which does a certain thing to the opposition it just depends who those guys are that that can change but the principle of having the wide players stretching it out never deviates and i would argue has never deviated under Berhalter because if if nick lima goes to central midfield instead of going wide right then the right winger goes Mm -hmm. wide right instead yeah 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 And, and so then i think it comes down to like how much do you trust greg Berhalter versus some of the coaches the united states has had in the past because like what? What threw me off again? Like, like to be totally honest, maybe I'm very dense when it comes to this. There's a distinct possibility I am. I doubt the Total Sock Show would be doing well if you were dense. Well, in this case, maybe it's it's like 
a way of seeing. It's a di- I think it's a different philosophy and thus a different way of understanding because in my mind it's like like, like I was kind of frustrated when we started seeing Will Trapp drop in between the center backs because that immediately harkens to like, oh, here we go. Michael Bradley dropping between the center backs, center backs spread wide, and now we're kind of back into that situation. And to elaborate, is it because you'd seen in the past two games Bradley being ahead of the like center actively backs? actively not doing that. Actively not yeah. dropping between Zimmerman yeah. and Lang. And so maybe when you see that first time, I can imagine from your perspective, mm-hmm. honestly, and from mine before I read Henry Bushnell's story. That really was – credit to Henry because that is kind of the thing that broke the egg yeah. a little bit. Should we me. link to that in the show notes? Probably. Um, uh, so when you see Trap drop between the center backs, it feels like a regression yeah. to a thing that was happening like way, way back that no one liked. But yeah, but instead it's basically just if you kind of – I don't know what the term would be, but it's just like it, maybe it is total football that everybody's doing everything. But it's like basically it's trap dropping in and becoming a center back, and then like uh, I guess in this case Omar becomes Tim Ream's position, becomes that like left back who tucks inside, yeah. and like, it's yeah, the Omar's same shape. Center back, yeah. yeah, and then you have With your fullbacks get forward exactly, and your fullbacks get forward, and now they're your wide attackers. Your wide attackers go central. Then they're your two number tens, yes. and you have roughly that same shape. And so when you kind of remove the like, oh, it's it's the same personnel. But they're like, now Nick Lima's a right winger, but now he's a right back, but now he's a center midfielder. I think in the past, I was slightly frustrated by that because I was like, well, but if he's doing that, how does... Well, yeah, but also then, in my mind, it's like, if Lima is a right winger, then everybody has to adjust to Nick Lima doing right wing things. But if he's a center mid, then everybody has to adjust to that. And so doesn't that then throw off the game if he's doing one thing one game and one, one thing the next? But in reality... I'm guessing, and what we'll, I think we'll start to see is, or maybe already are seeing, is that when Nick Lima does become a central midfielder, somebody else is going wide. And when yeah. he is going wide, somebody else is staying and being that other holding midfielder, basically. And here's what I see as the progression under Bearhalter that we're seeing a little bit of, and I'm either optimistic or just hoping that we can see in the future, because it will mean that the US yeah. team is really good, is that, again, we always have the principles of play that Bearhalter starts with, the positional play, move people around, open spaces, exploit those spaces. Mm-hmm. It starts with always having two wide players, right? But then each, I think each game we've seen tiny little changes, right? We've seen slight new things introduced. Yep. Um, like, for example, the first two games, the, so we played Panama B, mm-hmm. maybe Panama C, and Costa Rica B slash C in January, it was Nick Lima going to centre midfield every single time, right? right. And, and we all assumed that's the new thing. That's what's going to happen all the time, right? Now we, against, I think it was against Venezuela when he really experimented with, all right, we're going to send Nick Lima bombing down mm-hmm. the right. We're already 3-0 down at that point, but Behalter has looked back at that game and said, yeah, we lost 3-0, but in, in the long run, who really cares? We can debate whether that is valid or not, but he feels like he learned that that uh, Lima really wide, Boyd inside thing can work. And then we saw it work really well against Guyana, and Trinidad, mm-hmm. right? And we've seen Cannon do something similar. So these are like tiny little variations within the uh, the overarching uh, principles of play, I think of as weapons that we can then deploy against teams yeah. where it makes sense, right? Yeah, and like maybe sense. you see it one game because it makes sense against that team. You won't see it the next game because maybe we don't need to do a certain thing that game. You see it two games later because we've decided, oh, this needs this needs to happen. Like they have a weak left back, we can exploit that. Let's get Nick Lima to overload that yeah. side. Yeah, and, and I would. Extend- it takes time to build up that list of weapons. It does, and I want to talk about that for a second. But first, I wanted to say I would even argue that it makes you more dangerous against that type of opponent because instead of it requiring a okay, we need to be a bit more attacking. Now we're going to put on another attacker and we're going to push them up or we're going to change the formation. Instead, it can be a bit more like. Okay, Nick Lima knows that sometimes he's going to be very attacking, but now he's not going to be attacking. But somebody else is like, you can have those sort of variations. Yeah. All like you could have 20 of them in a 20 minute period. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's that you've got everybody who knows how to try different things in different moments instead of needing a tactical adjustment from Greg Berhalter like we saw in the 20th minute. 
Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's all. Oh, and I was going to say, and if you're if you want to, if you're someone who has patience and believes that like this experiment is worth sticking with to see if it works, mm-hmm. it might not work. But if you want to see if it works, I think it's worth being positive about the small things you see, positive about the where you see the star being implemented. Um, and not even worrying if maybe a game against Panama in the mm-hmm. third game of the Gold Cup um, isn't entertaining. If in the long run what you get is a U.S. men's national team that is capable of playing a possession style of play and that being uh, successful. Mm-hmm. And I think the big – so we started the show talking about this. Right? The big trade-off is, is watching the U.S. national team a thing where you want to be entertained for 90 minutes and it's all about like I should enjoy every game? Or is it that you're willing to like essentially – suffer some bad games like the Venezuela game for the long-term progress that maybe we show by the 2022 World Cup. I mean, so I think if we're going with a like very optimistic way of looking at this, it's the part of the sports movie when the coaches come in and is doing the it's moneyball when the when the Oakland A's are terrible when it's like oh <laughs> see this didn't work this guy was never going to be able to be a yeah. first baseman this person can't be a pitcher I and have then, seen this baseball movie so this is a reference I, yeah. to quote Captain America I get that reference so if we're being idealistic which yeah. I think is how we ended the last show we'll continue it here like if you're being idealistic then this is that period of the uh, former catcher or whatever is learning to be a first baseman and the pitcher who everybody undervalued is learning to be a pitcher in this system yeah. and David Justice is learning how not to be uh, overrated and old uh, <laughs> but like it, it's that part of the movie and then then ideally the United States goes on the 20 whatever game win streak the A's did only in this case it's winning the World Cup or just yeah. being very competitive in the World Cup so I think Greggy Ball Greggy Ball exactly so one question then before we before I get to your entertainment question is how do you, Daryl, then like f- like watch – so this game tonight, Yeah, I think I kind of came in with the like 11 changes. I'm not particularly excited about this one. It also feels like Panama aren't very excited about this one. I don't see this being a very fun game. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably the case for most people. How do you then advise people to like, okay, if you want to see the nuances of Greggy Ball – Working. That's <laughs> definitely what we're calling it, by the way. Uh, like, what are you looking for? Is it off the ball running? Is it like, do you try to say, watch Jordan Morris for a couple minutes and see if he is making runs yeah. off the ball or trying to open up space? Like, what can people look at to see how it's happening? Because I, I do think it's a little difficult. I think it is that. I think it's looking to see is a player making a run off the ball mm-hmm. that isn't just designed, can I get this ball? Yeah. It's designed, do I open up space that a teammate can exploit? Right. right? And that's okay. not the, the all and everything, but that's like at least one of the basic things, right? So then, yes, I think so. So then if, is it telling if a player is static then? If a player is kind of standing directing traffic, does that mean you're not doing what's been asked of you? Yeah, I mean, okay. that, that means it's not working. There right? we go. I mean, all unless right. the goal is like everybody mm-hmm. else moves around and that player is the one player that stays still, yeah. then maybe, but that's quite an unlikely plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, so... Uh, that makes sense, and I would say then that if we're going to take this approach of uh, trying to appreciate Greggy Ball, yeah. then I think you have to kind of take him at his word. And if you go back to yeah. the Paul Tenorio article in The Athletic this week or yeah. the interview, which I'll be honest, I did not enjoy on first reading. And it's not a shot at Paul. It's just that when I read that the first time, I felt like it was a lot of sort of – Platitudes. It was a lot of things we've heard before about how we're trying to instill a new idea and we want people to kind of yeah. buy into it and it's difficult and challenging. And if you see the friendlies as competitive games, then you're not going to – like it's not going to yeah. work. And all of those things didn't resonate. Having had this conversation, I think back on that and it makes much more sense about how you, you kind of – don't treat friendlies, I guess, is where I am now, as like, yeah, we want to win this to show that we're the authority. 
Instead, it's maybe like, yeah, we may lose a couple of friendlies, like two or three or four nil because we're trying something totally different. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're in the past. I'm not trying to hate on Jurgen Klinsmann here, but like in the past when we were doing something different, it meant like Jermaine Jones is a center back now and we're playing in a back three tonight for some reason. It's more of a like. Just to see if it works. Yeah. W- w- like in this case. I mean, to be fair, he did tell them about it at least 20 minutes before pickup. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully Berhalter's uh, doing a bit more of bit I mean, more than know 20 he's minutes. He's emailing yeah. videos to people months in advance. Exactly. But so if there is a game when like. Like as as an example, like if Alejandro Bedoya is suddenly playing holding midfield against Brazil, I will be slightly concerned. But I guess well, that actually I'm, happened, didn't it? It did. But like if we see a player who's maybe not necess- like used to doing that, but is suddenly doing it, but then they're doing it a different way. Like I will te- see that more as like Greg Werhalter's not necessarily trying this person to see if they will be our holding midfielder for the future, but maybe to see how they function within this variation or this permutation. Yeah, and maybe that's the way to see it because I do think that helps if you're if you're. Working towards understanding a complicated system, I think it does enhance the enjoyment of viewing that event yes. than sort of being like, this isn't working and we're losing to Venezuela and it sucks. But it depends how much you're willing to invest yeah. in understanding the system. Honestly, listening to shows like mm-hmm. ours or shows like Scuffed or any other shows. This does feel do a little bit like, like, like self-congratulatory and I don't mean for it to be. But this is sort of a revelatory moment for me of like, I have not enjoyed the last like couple games from the U.S., even when they're winning, I still have this trepidation about some of the variation we're seeing, and I think it helps me better understand that, yeah, like maybe we got to give it time. We don't just immediately go to beautiful possession soccer. And I want to raise this, because you asked me this question off Mm -hmm. air, like, how much time do we give it? Like, it's fine for me to say, yeah, I've got, I think I'm Mm -hmm. a relatively optimistic, patient person. I'm Mm -hmm. just like, chemically, that's how I work, so that's how I see things. But no one's patience is endless, Mm -hmm. right? So you asked me off air, um, yeah, but at what point would you get frustrated? And I think I said, when it gets really serious, like World Cup qualifying, if we're struggling to get results, then I'll start thinking, maybe this whole thing isn't worth it. Because that would have been enough time to implement it enough that we should be looking good in qualifying and winning games in qualifying. And that is where I think I still disagree with you a little bit, because... I think if we're not, if we're still hoping we figure it out for World Cup qualifying at that point, that's not a good sign. If it's been that long and it hasn't been quite embraced yet and we're still struggling to implement it, yeah. that feels like a warning sign to me that suddenly I don't want to be in another, another position where we start qualifying and we lose two games. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but we're totally going to figure it out for the final couple games. That, had, that didn't work yeah. last time. No, and I don't think we'll be doing that uh, this time. Look, I would argue that we've, we have seen progress so far, mm-hmm. though. I mean, let's not forget, we haven't conceded mm-hmm. a goal at the Gold Cup and we're 11 goals for zero against in the, in yep. the group stage, Very right? True. And we've seen, as we've pointed out in multiple examples, we've seen elements of the Bellhalter style of play working in all three games intermittently right? Right. I'm looking for a complete performance where this system rips a team apart mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yep. from the get go and it's impossible to live with that's what the end result I'm hoping for is right alright then another question this is slowly turned into a Daryl interview but I'm fine with it it's fine so, I'm, I'm I guest on my own show yeah perfect um so then, like, like a player. I don't. I, I. don't mean to keep going to Christian Roldan. He's because, a good example. Okay, so we. I'm hoping he's big enough to take the criticism. We, I'm assuming so that he is. We haven't enjoyed what we've seen from Christian Roldan, right? Yeah. Because the, the way I, I think I initially framed the question of like, how much patience do you have? When do we sort of start to get worried? Is more so like we haven't enjoyed what we've seen from Christian Roldan. But if he keeps getting selected over and over again, yeah. it gets harder and harder for me to be like, okay, but Burhalter's still working on it yeah. because fundamentally it still may end up being the player who can't complete a pass from 20 yards away. So here's how I see it is one of the possible frustrations with the Berhalter era and his the work he is doing to implement the system, mm-hmm. um, but also my argument for it, is that because Roldan was in that first camp in January 
and learned the style of play and the philosophy and how to do all that stuff. Like, even though we had a bad game, we literally saw him go into the space that Jordan Morris vacated. Right? Mm-hmm. It's an example of him intellectually understanding it. I think there's um, an element where Greg Berhalter wants to make sure that enough players in camp are players that understand the system. And that gives Christian Roldan, because he was there in January, which is in some ways an accident because European players weren't allowed to be there, right? So right. MLS players were allowed to be there. He then has a better chance of making future squads in camps because we know he's a guy that understands the system, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to learn it for the first time, right? right. So then the, the talent drop-off that we might see between a European-based player and then Christian Roldan, he, in Behelter's mind, I think he makes that up a little bit by understanding the system, right? My hope long-term is that eventually there are enough camps where, say, Dwayne Holmes comes in or someone else comes in and eventually is at the level where Behelter feels comfortable enough with Dwayne Holmes and knows that he's superior, a more talented yeah. player, that he can supplant Christian Roldan. Right? So w- would you then see it as a warning sign if... In the next few camps, it's the same, like 21 of the 23 are the same, 22 of the 23 are the same, and you don't start seeing experimentation and new players brought in to try new things. I mean, so his, his, honestly, because mm-hmm. I trust the process, kind of, or I at least have faith that Greg Behalter might know what he's doing, I would be inclined to even give Behalter the benefit of the doubt if just, say, a couple players are included, and then things look kind of okay in the games, okay. right? If it's like two years and it's still rolled down over Holmes. I know Holmes was not included because of injury, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's a good... They're good examples because they play similar positions and they one's in Europe and one's not, right? Um, if it lasts forever with this long-term stuff that he only trusts the players that were there in January 2019, mm-hmm. then I would st- obviously start to get worried, especially if the team is not looking good when it plays and there are more talented players who are not being selected because they... They're not being selected because they haven't been selected before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That would be a problem. I've just had a sobering moment, though. <laughs> It's, it brings us back to it. What this says to me, and it does help me understand, that maybe he doesn't think Bobby Wood can handle some of the like rotations and the differences in the systems. And I mean, some he's of not the- a guy that comes short and shows for the ball and lays it up, right? Yeah. It's not his style. Plus, he's been in terrible form. Why would you call a guy up if you think he doesn't quite fit my system and he's in terrible form? Yeah. Like, that, that guy's no good to you. Interesting. Yeah. And maybe also then, like players will get left out because of because of whether they fit the style of play or not. Players will get left and out. And maybe it then further explains why why uh, Josh Sargent is not here and Giassi Sardis is. Yeah, maybe. But Sargent was there for a little bit True. and is in Behalter's thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think we will see him in the future. Let's hope. Right. Let's but, hope. But it's all about having. Tonight would have been nice to see patience. him. It, I guess it would it would have been a good like Josie out. Uh, Sergeant in in like the 80th minute. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. There's one bigger question that we hinted at earlier but didn't get to. What about the concept of U.S. soccer? having a bad relationship with fans or uh-huh. fans not trusting U.S. soccer. And well, here's my argument, essentially, is how I'm going to phrase this, is because like, okay, I have the patience to wait to see if this whole thing works. Mm-hmm. I completely understand why other people who are not as invested in tactics and don't read Spiel Verlagerlung mm-hmm. um, are just like, we've waited long enough. We had this whole 2018 yeah. of nothing. I want the team to look good and entertain me and be worth the money for a ticket and be worth me spending two hours watching them on TV. I want that to happen now, mm-hmm. right? I I would maybe debate that person, but I wouldn't disagree with their right to want to be entertained or I think I by, say, by the US men's I would say team. how. Because I, I think everybody, nobody doesn't want that except for people who hate the United States. Like <laughs> everybody wants them to be a very good team that destroys everybody yeah. and wins every game and looks very dominant. The, the question, and I guess the, I, I feel like 
we've kind of already answered it, which is that like that doesn't just happen. It doesn't yeah. happen overnight. You have to let the process build a little bit. And yeah. and, I, and I do think like and I'm criticizing myself here because like I started out in a different place this evening. Like I do think this is roughly the equivalent of getting really, really frustrated with a new manager in like the Premier League season when they haven't won their when they like won a couple games and then they lost like three in a row. And you're sort of like now it's October and they've lost three in a row. I think that's about where we are with Greg Berhalter. And so to get that frustrated with him right now, I understand. And I, I don't think it's necessarily all about him. I think there's a lot of external factors that factor into it. And if you try to remove those and be mad at the Federation if you want to, be mad at the executives if you want to, be mad at plenty of people if you want to. But I think you you kind of have to try to remove some of that from the national team at least yeah. for a minute. Well, here's a, here's a bigger problem mm-hmm. is the Greg Berhalter style of play, it's a lot of – moving the ball around, probing for openings. There is a version of that that's very boring. Like, do you remember the... So what ultimately what Behelter is going for is very similar to what Guardiola is doing at Manchester mm-hmm. City, right? And maybe if we just remove the arguments of like, can you do this with non-Man City players mm-hmm. and hope that the, the US can do it. There were I mean, games, he did it really well at Barcelona. <laughs> there were games last season yeah. where Manchester City were boring to watch because yeah. they had the ball for extended periods, teams were bunkered against them, and it took them ages to find a gap and open it up, and it just wasn't entertaining soccer, right? Mm-hmm. There is a possibility that the U.S. gets really good at this and teams bunker against them, and watching the U.S. becomes, watching the U.S. move, like, move the ball around the field, probe for openings, nothing happens too... Like, even if you have a high-tempo game, it still becomes low-tempo because you're not moving it forward in mm-hmm. behind their opposition defense because there's no openings. Yes. So there's a version of this that like technically works and we win games, but is kind of slow and it's like the worst version of soccer that like Jim Rome used to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that I mean that's a possibility. The US team might be effective but not be entertaining. And there's a question of is that okay? I, I it, it's tough to say because like it go it, like to continue the Premier League analogy, it goes back to like would you rather be. Chelsea with a successful Mourinho where you win every game 1-0, but you know it's not going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Or would you rather, I don't know, be Liverpool and not win the title but play incredibly fun soccer? Yeah. It, it's tough to say, and I think the answer is I would probably rather be Liverpool because yeah. it's fun and you're going to get to see a bunch of goals and it's going to be exciting. But again, I would say, but you don't just become Liverpool. Klopp didn't get hired, and then they suddenly were amazing. It took a while, right? It took and a lot of investment and a lot of new players being brought in and mm-hmm. a lot of buying into the system. And, and a lot of tweaks from Klopp. Yeah. Like the system changed along the way yeah. to the point where it's like as effective as it is now because he's altered it, right? Yeah, and so I, th- I can't remember if we've already talked about this. We've talked about a lot at this point because, as is tradition, we've gone an hour. I, I actually <laughs> think we've had a really interesting conversation oh, yeah. from a not very interesting game. <laughs> I think people, if they see the running length of this show without <laughs> knowing what it's about, will be very confused. Yeah, we yes. should make clear in the show notes. But So anyway, I think we should. I can't tell if we've talked about – I can't remember if we've talked about this already. But then it also is not saying they're the equivalent of like Virgil van Dyke is going to come in for the United States. But Can we like, sign him? We should sign him. We really should. Uh, is there a way to captain him even though he's already been very much captain? Um, but like that's where I think it's OK to be even more excited about some of the youth prospects because instead, mm. instead of it being a – and I think that's where we've been on a lot of occasions is like – well, this person could come in and be really good. This person could come in and score a bunch of goals, and they're going to be the number 10 for the United States for right now. But it's because we sort of look at the other possible number 10s and we think, like, yeah, that's not, that hasn't quite done it. We haven't really been scoring a bunch of goals, but this player could do it, and we kind of put all that pressure on that player. Instead of that, I think you're looking at younger players coming in who could then learn that system, learn certain ways of playing, and we're not just being like, go in there and be a number 10. It's go in yeah. there and be a number 10 in this system after you have a lot of experience I think doing it. A really good example is to not 
think of, say, Tim Weyer as, oh, he's real good, he should play. Yep. But think of him as, imagine him playing that left wing role that Paul Areola does, mm-hmm. where sometimes he's all the way out on the touchline, but he'll receive the ball and be able to go at people. Sometimes he's like playing one-twos with Christian Pulisic. Like, one of the things I love about Tim Weyer is his ability to receive the ball, pass and move it quickly mm-hmm. and uh, exploit space that way. Yeah. That Weyer-Pulisic conversation excites me. But also the idea that he could then drift in field from the left and be like a second striker, like yep. Lewis was doing tonight, that excites me. So... I think the way to think about this is to think of the players you're excited about and then learn what the Bellhalter system looks like and imagine where they fit into that. Right. That's at least the way to be excited about it. And then you can start thinking about guys like Alex Mendes and Richie Ledesma, who are maybe a couple of years behind where maybe they might catch up real quick and where they fit in the system mm-hmm. and how exciting that could be. They could be the guys that... Right now we talked about the Pulisic McKenney show and the next step down is mm-hmm. the... Mihailovic Roldan show, yeah. which is like a much cheaper ticket, or should be. Yeah. But imagine if it's the Pulisic McKenney show and then the Ledesma Mendes show underneath. That would be fine with yeah. me. Yes. And so my final, like. We should wrap up soon, right? We should. Yeah. I think yeah. my final point for the tens of people who are theoretically still listening at this point <laughs> is like. Tens of millions. It does also, I think, and I'm hoping this ends up being the case, I think it makes it more fun to watch. Not just because of everything we've talked about, but also because this Gold Cup, for example, we always talk about how the group stage of the Gold Cup is not fun because it's sort of – it's a thankless task. You either win every game or you don't, yeah. and that's a problem. Or if you win every game, then, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. It's and the you Gold got your Cup nipple streaked by El Salvador. Well, that too. Yes, of course. That, that might helps. be in the knockout stage, actually. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, but I think instead of seeing it that way, instead of basically I'm advocating for what so many uh, parents hate, which is like – don't necessarily worry about the score to some extent, I guess. It's like, or like, try to look at it less so as like, in the group oh, yeah. stage, you mean? Well, like, like, it's Guyana. Who cares if we beat them? They're yeah. the 177th best team in the world or whatever, like that. Like, yes, obviously I want to beat them. Yes, obviously I would like to score goals. But it makes it that much more fun to watch because instead of just being like, well, did we beat them 4 0? Great. Then we did what we we're supposed to. But you can also, within that, see like, oh, here is this synchronization. Here is this moment of like where this player did this and this player came inside and then that player went wide and then we opened up space and oh man, that defense couldn't handle that at all. It makes it a more engaging experience. Yeah. All right. Final thing I want to say. Oh, God. There is a danger though. Uh huh. We're just the nerds who love that stuff, yeah. and this isn't going to be convincing for the majority of U.S. soccer fans. Luckily, the majority of U.S. soccer fans don't come into the studio to record this show. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll hear some we'll hear some tweets from people, and I welcome ones that are more than just Burhalter sucks or nepotism because. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Put some nuance into it. Make it make a convincing argument. And look, like I, I get that frustration too. That there are two people in, named Burhalter who are both very high up in U.S. soccer. One of whom it seems may end up being even more yeah. high up in U.S. soccer. For more on that, listen to yesterday's show, right? The Glassdoor review and show. more shows. I think we'll keep talking about yeah. it. I don't. I don't. I would like to, for it to not fade yeah. from memory the way we'll, I, I think U.S. soccer would like it to fade from memory. We'll we'll definitely talk about it when U.S. soccer try and slide it through after it's faded from memory and be yeah. like, oh yeah, we did that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, like, we'll sound the klaxon. And I know that that is informing we will we will have a a sliding through klaxon yeah. i don't know what that is it would be an unpleasant it's, side effect it's a buried bad news klaxon perfect <laughs> just yeah. it's like when when your dog dreams and it's like like underwater barks it's that it's just a klaxon underwater underwater barks is a beautiful phrase and very descriptive it's perfect i try yeah. uh, i think i stole it from somebody else <laughs> but but yeah so yeah i'm just i'm good with uh with, with that but i i guess i understand why people are frustrated with Burhalter, are frustrated with the Burhalters, and we're not going to change that. But I think I'm still – I would rather spend this show talking about the ways in which we see the U.S. improving and what they're trying to do. Yeah. 
I, I personally don't want to spend an hour complaining about the team. And it's not just because like I don't like being negative or it's not fun or I'm trying to see the rainbow and everything. It's just that it's it's more compelling to me to see how a team is trying to build and develop. Yeah. And and to be fair, when they're not, when it hasn't worked, why it hasn't worked. I think that's the important thing maybe for people who listen to our show. Because I think we maybe get a reputation for being too optimistic mm-hmm. or at least maybe I do. But I, I think it's worth making this promise to listeners and to ourselves mm-hmm. that – when we see the progress, we will point out the progress and how yep. it's going. When we, if we see things going wrong, or if we are like, "Hey, we kind of come to believe mm-hmm. that this system can't work at the international." Like Bubba yep. Walter makes the argument that like maybe you can only actually do this successfully if you're a club coach because mm-hmm. you get to spend more time with your players. Yeah. That's a really valid argument that might prove to be true in the long run, especially when we play better teams. Right? Yep. We will be watching for all that stuff and talking about it when it happens. We're not going to be relentlessly, "Oh, give him time, give him time, give him time." Right? At some point, there's no more time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is apparently the World Cup qualifiers. I mean, I just think that as a like when things get serious kind of date. <laughs> All yeah. right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> should we wrap up? We should. It's whenever Alexis says it's not working, then it might still be working. <laughs> when Christian says it's not working, then it's probably not working. Oh, so this opened with shots fired at the Cooligans and ended with shots fired at the Cooligans. Yes. We should also remind people mm-hmm. that we are doing a live show with our very good friends whom we love dearly. Mm-hmm. I really mean that sincerely. The Cooligans, Alexis yes. and Christian. We do. July 13th at Audi Field. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I hope they are too. Yeah. Uh, link will be in the show mm-hmm. notes to buy tickets. We recommend you get them quickly, mostly because we want to sell a bunch of tickets. We certainly do. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, thank we, you. We should add, I think there will be, since it is with DC United, we're expecting some different personalities to show up there. It won't oh, just yeah. be the four of us. So, oh, yeah. Uh, there'll be yeah. much more famous people than yeah. us. Yeah. If, if, if the four of us don't excite you, some other vague <laughs> personalities will. hopefully will. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully players, right? Yeah. It's not confirmed yet, but hopefully players. Yeah. All right. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to both talk and listen to me tonight. <laughs> right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, especially if you're one of those brave souls who listened all the way through to the end. We love you for it. Uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. And if, talk- you, and, oh, if you are, and if you are still listening, I would like hashtag Greggy Ball to be tweeted at us. Hashtag Greggy yes. Yeah, tweet it right. Yeah. Hashtag Greggy Ball, I'm still listening. And I look forward to waking up to... Two tweets? That's what I'm going to guess. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll yeah. find out. Mm. Um, we'll be back tomorrow yep. or probably today by the time you hear this. Uh, I mean, it's, it's 2 a.m., so yeah. <laughs> oh, with uh, France versus Norway. Mm. That's not right, is it? England versus Norway. That's the Women's one. World Cup quarterfinal. Now who's looking past teams to France? Apparently, yeah. right? Yeah, it sounds like I think France and Norway are going through. <laughs> uh I've betrayed both my countries. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. That uh, is um, a possibility, I think. Is that how the bracket works? I think so. Oh, dear. Yep. Um, so we will be back tomorrow oh, no. to talk England-Norway, <laughs> the only game, the Women's World Cup quarterfinal tomorrow, and to preview uh, France versus the United States. Y'all betrayed this country, and now you the court.